Welcome to the Wedding Film Academy podcast, your go-to source for learning to create stunning wedding films and run a successful business. Here's your host, Lumix Luminary and wedding filmmaker, Jordan Bunch. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Film Academy podcast. I'm really excited this week. We have something that's really different. Uh, last week, we had Griffin Hammond on, who is a documentary filmmaker, um, and now we have something else that's really different for you. I want to give you guys a lot of different perspectives on storytelling. So, so we've interviewed a number of different wedding, um, you know, wedding film uh, storytellers uh, who who go about things in a different way. Then we interviewed a documentary filmmaker, and now we have Levi Allen with us. Um, I, if especially if you're if you've lately if you followed the 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 saga of of this camera being released, the GH5. Uh, you probably saw one of Levi's films. Uh, Levi's with Left Left Coast Media, right? Yeah, Left Coast um, Media House. Awesome. And uh, Panasonic sent him a GH5 early, and he did this really awesome short film on slacklining. Uh, and I always thought like slacklining was just like between two trees. Uh, but if you watch this, you will find out that that is not always the case. There are people who are much more daring. Um, than than i would ever be uh but anyways levi made this really cool short film about them but he does all kinds of work like that and so i wanted to have him on because he's someone who can give us this really unique perspective on um what it looks like to sort of conceptualize a story and then just go out and tell it and so um just excited to have levi with us levi introduce yourself hey right on it's it's so good to be here um yeah, I'm, a, I'm an adventure filmmaker from up here in British Columbia, Canada, and uh, yeah, I, I just I've I've just been beginning this process of trying to build and and create a sort of a, a space where I can tell more adventure stories. I'm really just focused on how, trying to figure out how can I just focus on creating story after story and not have to spend much time doing anything else. So that's kind of what I've dedicated the past year and a half to to figuring out, and it's been a it's been a really fun process. That's awesome, man. So tell me, like, what was your journey to get started in this? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, I guess as a kid, I never really pictured myself as kind of the artist in the family or kind of a creative person in that sense. I, I always was more of the, the maker type, the person in the, with the shovel in hand in the, in the backyard. I was the youngest of three kids at first. Um, and so I just I just spent a lot of time making things. I was fascinated by what made something work, like what what underneath the hood was the little pieces that all came together to make whatever type of electronic thing work. And if that was getting my hands on my on my dad's old broken electronics, you know, just taking everything apart and and just getting my hands right into stuff. That's what I that's what I really enjoyed right from the start. And that's kind of I mean, I got into all sorts of outdoor sports because of that, you know, rock climbing and mountain biking and things like that. And that's what I was for a majority of growing up. Like that's what I was most excited about. Um, mm. But uh, I always, I always viewed my older brother. He he was more of the like musician type, the artist, graphic designer guy. And so he always seemed to be more of like that kind of creative type. And so I just pictured myself as being, Oh, I, I'm not those things. I don't, I don't really have creativity in, in that same way. 
Uh, and maybe, maybe I'm not an artist in that way. Uh, and, and it kind of, as I transitioned through middle school and high school, uh, I'd been thinking a lot, especially in youth naivety, I just had these goals of how I wanted to change the world. And so, I mean, every month I was trying to think of a new type of thing I could do with my life that would like actually bring something into the world. And, and I went through quite a few different versions of this in my head. And I had a few adults that I looked up to that I was really impressed with the way they lived their lives um, and were able to go about, uh, you know, having a career that they could invest back into other things and, and invest back into people and invest back into making the world a better place. And so when I was, you know, in, in high school, I thought, hey, maybe maybe that would be through something like the medical field or something like that. And then there's this point where it started to shift in my head where I was like, wow, it'd be so cool to be in the medical field because I could make lots of money and then I could I could make my own videos whenever I wanted to. <laughs> and I started to just kind of have that, like that started being the train of thought. I was like, wow, if I became like a doctor, uh, if I worked as like a part-time ER doctor, I, it would be fast paced. I'd be able to like be interacting with people and like helping them in a really practical way, but I could be generating income to spend on things that I wanted to spend um, and focus on family and focus on, you know, people. That's kind of what, that's the train of thought. And And <laughs> as I got more, self-awareness through high school, I just realized, man, nine to 11 years of post-secondary to, to get a uh, career. Yeah, that'd be awful. <laughs> just, just to self-fund projects that I want to make, like that's that's not a good enough reason on its own. And and, yeah. and as much as I could see myself going that route, I was like, you know what? I've, I've been thinking a lot about this like video stuff. And when I see some of the some of my friends would in the mountain biking world were getting excited about some of these other videos that were getting made. And I remember just watching them and being like, like there, there's not much special, t like I could do that. And, and I think I could do it better. And mm -hmm. I, I had to bite my tongue at that time because I mean, I hadn't made anything of, of significant value in that sense uh, yeah. beyond just like videos in school. And so that kind of stuck with me. I was like, I, I, I could do that. And so I took all the money I was making at the bike shop at that time. Um, and that's when I kind of invested into, I, I luckily missed the whole um, uh, de depth of field adapters in this whole era of modifying handy cams to get a cinematic look. And I, I got to come in into the game around the Canon T2i. That was like the first, that was the first like entry level, more affordable <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. crop, crop sensor DSLR that you could get this gorgeous, gorgeous image out of. And that's, that's kind of the camera that started it all for me, and I just, I just have been trying to trying to build it into. A, it, I'm trying to build something where I can create incredible incredible products for clients that just add so much value to them, but then just have a business that I can use to tell whatever story I want at any given time, and that's kind of been, that's been the focus from the start, and so I've I've tried to. I'm not living the most luxurious lifestyle <laughs> of 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 what could be out there, but uh, from the start, I've kind of just made this rule with myself that I'm going to try from the very beginning have be building things in a way where I'm focusing on on telling stories that I actually believe matter, and then try to have as important as the business stuff is, try to have that be like a secondary addition. So I'm trying to I'm trying to do this whole thing passion first. That that can be really dangerous. So I'm I'm trying to be as cautious and as thought out as I can with it. But I, I mean that's been the process that I've kind of taken, and now I've been 
I've been on that road for about three years or so and full time into it for the last year and a half. Yeah. Awesome. Because, I mean, it's like you said, you were planning on working all this time. You're working your butt off, going to all this school just to right. do the one thing you love. Why not just do the thing you love? I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, at a, at a certain point, I just realized, I mean, if you get good at making films, like you can, you can make an income off that. Like people, and if I see in my head, I mean, <laughs> it's either a strength or a weakness, but I've, I've never looked at, at what other people do and been like, oh, I totally can't do that. I mean, this foolish confidence in me since I was a kid is like, whatever I would see other people do, I'd go, oh yeah, I could probably do that. And it's, and to a certain extent, that's untrue, but to an, to another degree, it's like, yeah, I believe most things can be learned if you just have the drive and ambition. So it's like, once, once I came to that realization, it was like, whoa, what do I want to apply this drive to? If, if I could, if I could apply myself and learn the skills to do a lot of things, like which one is that going to be? And I, I thought really carefully about that and all the aspects that I was coming to love about this idea, this ideal in my head of this like storytelling process and this creating things that can move and motivate people, like that just became such such a focus to me that like, hey, I could I could actually maybe do that really well and bring some really good things into the world that would hopefully make a bigger impact than, you know, maybe just me being pursuing something in the medical field or any sort of other type of thing that I could do. I mean, because the people that are doing that may be better than I could have ever done those things. They need to, those stories need to be told. And and if someone's yeah. not willing to go and tell those stories, how are, how are they going to get out there? It's, it's, it's kind of interesting that, I mean, you found my work through this kind of extreme sports stuff that I've been focusing on lately because I, I mean, from the beginning, the focus in my head, I always pictured like doing humanitarian-esque documentary type stuff. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, well, I'll probably get a chance to talk about that more, but there were so many projects at the beginning, especially when I was first starting out where I just was like over ambitious about this documentary I was going to try and make. And I, I mean, I try, in my in my hometown here. I, I there were so many ideas I had, and I I would start this these projects and be like, man, I'm going to make a documentary about this, and then and it would be the scope of it would be pretty massive, and and a few of those projects, like nothing nothing came of them at all, yeah. <laughs> and and that was kind of humbling at the beginning, where I felt it was as easy as just having a good idea, um, mm -hmm. and having that that vision in your head of what you could make. I mean, Ira Glass the podcasting storytelling genius he he talks about the gap in between like what you can picture in your head and then what you can actually make and in like the first years I really struggled because I felt my heart was in such the right place and I really wanted to use this stuff to like make a difference but the actual process of going out to do that was was, was more challenging than I expected in a way uh but I mean I had, to, I had to just focus and then decide, okay, what is the journey going to be to get to a place where the films I make can actually add value to the world and and bring something into it in the way that I pictured when I was a kid. Hmm. So do you have like certain values in life that are sort of driving the type of films that you want to tell that are going to inspire people around a certain idea or around a certain way of life? 
or where are you getting your inspiration from for these films? Yeah, I've I've been kind of developing and refining like what is the actual core motivation here and I haven't I haven't distilled it down to the like the takeaway that that one day it will be of this kind of like core message but essentially I'm I'm trying to I'm I'm allowing myself to be driven by my curiosity in the sense that I'm I'm pushing towards telling stories of what seem like what on the surface seem like ordinary people and and what I mean by that is hmm. they haven't been given some sort of special circumstance um they haven't been dealt some special hand in life they don't have these opportunities that the normal person couldn't have um and so these ordinary people I call them that then choose to do extraordinary things. Um, mm-hmm. And that's anything in that space is what gets me really interested. And that's, those are the types of people throughout my life I've tried to just be around. I mean, in any spectrum of industry or career or anything like that, um, people that, you know, they don't have some supernatural talent, but they make choices to live in a certain way. Um, and that, that, currently has brought me into the into the extreme sports world um but i mean i see that extending far beyond and and i think right now what works about focusing on kind of these human stories in extreme sports is well i I remember uh, i don't remember much from from school uh from (laughs) high school um but man if my english teacher ever listened to this she would just love this but i remember kind of the first time i grasped the concept that like in storytelling, there's something really powerful that happens when you take kind of these uncommon circumstances, these potentially, I can use the word extreme, these extreme situations or, I mean, you know, the, your, your kind of typical like sp- space saga film with aliens invading or whatever. And uh-huh. I remember our English teacher kind of making the connection for us that, you know, the story there isn't isn't the fact that it's aliens and it's space why why this would be interesting is the human element of what's happening in it uh and so the 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 bizarrity of the situation allows someone to start picturing it in their head and they and they don't necessarily and they kind of let their guard down and they allow the humanness or the yeah the humanity of the interactions and the relationships that are happening in that story and the decisions that are being made they those can end up having a deeper impact into the person that's experiencing it because they they've kind of let their guard down in a way as they're just like just taking in this this world that's I mean entirely different than maybe what they know but the human relationships and the and the goal driven and the conflict within all of that is something that we we do know that's something that we do know in our daily life and and I kind of made this connection at a certain point where maybe I could try make adventure films that even though the scenarios of what's occurring in them is so extreme and so out there for most people, maybe that can allow them to let their guard down and then realize, hey, this person is just making choices to go outside their comfort zone and, and try to do something incredible. And and they're doing it in community with other people and they're looking on how to make better relationships in their life. And And so that's kind of been... I mean, thanks that my, my English teacher kind of helped make that little connection for me. And it's kind of been, I, I guess, my hope of, yeah, I don't want to just make extreme extreme films for for other people that like extreme things. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my absolute favorite feedback I get from anyone um, 
over over the years of kind of putting out some of these adventure stories is just emails from some hey th- like I would never do that what like your film that blew my mind like my palms were sweaty gave me <laughs> gave me an anxiety yeah. uh, but it, it inspired me and motivated me to go do this um, hmm. or go do you know go start this sort of thing or go meet with my friends and try build this and those are like that's like such a win to me that's like that's like the ultimate goal right there is to give someone an experience that will motivate them to do something. Um, yeah. And so I guess that's kind of like the, the thesis that's been slowly developing behind why I think even something like an adventure story is, is a worthwhile endeavor to like pour yourself into is because I mean, I mean, if it's cool, people will let their guard down and, and maybe allow themselves to experience it. And some people won't take anything away from that. But there's other people that are in the right point of whatever journey they're on to have that be a tipping point for them or to be a piece in the puzzle of whatever journey they're on. And that's kind of what that whole like puzzle is what gets me gets me really excited of playing some sort of piece in that. Mm. That's awesome. I think for people who are who are making really good wedding films, I think there's there's a lot of correlation there because. It's not necessarily that I'm, you know, helping someone fall in love with this particular person, but I'm helping them connect with the idea of this committed kind of love that, you know, that goes beyond, uh, beyond the circumstances of life, um, that, that hopefully moves the viewer, regardless of whether they know this couple or not. Like, like you said, you know, what your favorite kind of feedback is is you know someone saying you've inspired me to do something else completely different right Right. well for for me like one of my favorite feedbacks is hey you know i don't even know these people and i'm having all this emotion watching their film like i'm crying watching this film with people i don't even know um you know that's that's kind of not normal for me um and so so yeah I, i really connect with that idea of of inspiring someone to do something in this case for the case of, of a lot of our listeners, it's inspiring them to love better. Um, so I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I love, I love the idea of the creative challenge that, I mean, these wedding films create. And, and, and so for me back, like when I was in high school, I did take on the challenge of trying to create a wedding film or two, um, and part of that process that I that I like really enjoyed was, you know, that when someone clicks play on a wedding film, like they know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the conclusion in the plot arc is pretty straightforward. And especially when you're especially if you're growing your storytelling voice, uh, in some ways, it's really helpful because there is a plot. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think people can forget can forget that there kind of needs to be a plot in stories to some extent. Um, and in the wedding, like you, you know what that is, and you can see that structure in your head even before the day begins, and that's where the challenge and the joy comes in. How can you, how can then you do something different here, or even within this framework that's so known by everyone, how can you just add the human element to it and the relational element, and that alone is special enough to make a wedding film bring lots of people to, to tears. Yeah. And and that's the cool thing. Like, I mean, there's, you're either, I mean, there's probably a lot of different motivations that go behind the wedding films that people make. Um, 
I mean, in the sense, especially when they get shared shared online after the fact, then obviously the audience that it's made for is larger and wider than just the family of the bride and groom. Um, but in one sense, I mean, it's a massive, it's a massive, massive success to just capture their humanness, their relationship within this structure that everyone is so familiar with. And yep. obviously that, that, that isn't satisfying enough for, for most creatives and they want to keep pushing, pushing their skill sets. But I mean that, and even, man, it's even so fascinating that I remember listening to a wedding panel. It must've been like five years ago. And I remember something that like really struck out, struck, stood out to me was, uh, the, the, I forget the gentleman's name, but he's, he's a wedding filmmaker in California. And he was saying, you know, what's crazy about a wedding film is you're offering, you're, you're creating the space, you're creating time travel for this couple. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because we're, we're so incredibly forgetful. Like we're, it's, it's pretty crazy how forgetful we're capable of being. And yep. if you can even do your craft to, any percentage enough where you're even getting the look on each other's faces on that day. Um, that is such a gift to, to the bride and groom in a way that, I mean, you can, you can never see the full extent of what, what that can play out in, in the marriage of a, of a couple like that. And that's, I mean, that's one component of, I mean, I'm such a, a values principle driven person that I, I just love that reality that you can give that type of gift to people through through your art like that is that is the coolest mm, yep absolutely for sure no i've had i've had couples who've told me that their wedding film saved their marriage because they were able to remember why they were drawn together in the first place and so yeah i really connect with that idea that's awesome mm -hmm. talk to me one of the things that um, i'm hearing from a number of the other people that i've interviewed is pre-production is a huge part of successfully telling a story. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about what you're doing in pre-production on your films in order to kind of have a really good idea going into the actual day of or multiple days of filming um, to be able to craft a story the way that you want it. Right. I th I think even even when I hear that word pre-production, still I picture sitting in an office with some papers uh, and <laughs> and writing things down, or maybe even storyboarding or doing yeah. some form of like Google research or things like that. Uh, and and I guess the larger form of what I do in pre-production um, is the the step of like pre-visualization. I'm a I'm a filmmaker and I'm a very visual um, person, and so a lot of what is like motivating and inspiring the stories that I'm trying to decide if I should spend the energy to create them, to bring them to life is I will usually have a, have some sort of vision that I can see, uh, in my head. Um, and, and so in my process of, of, of pre-production, I'm, I'm trying to latch onto what, what actually is that, um, what is it that I see in my head and how can we bring this to life? And I mean, so often in my documentary process, everything starts from meeting a person. Um, I mean, I mean, kind of there's there's different ways that that ideas can can come to life. I mean, if, if I'm trying to make a mountain biking film and I know I want to make a mountain biking film, then I'm setting out to go meet 
some person that I think would be worthwhile to do that with. And from that meeting with a person is where the whole idea starts to take shape and come to life. And so for me specifically, I like that meeting process of the people involved is the pre-production for me. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's the prep work on the whole technical side where you got to do your diligence and understand what, what equipment you're going to need to have with you and how can you secure the equipment and how can you potentially gather funding, something that still is so elusive to me. Um, but so there's kind of the technical side um, and that's like just making sure you've got your stuff together. Uh, then there's the actually having a vision of any kind. Um, and then usually, at least for me in the, in the documentary space, usually there's some sort of activity or event or challenge or task that the person that you're inspired by is going to set out and do. Um, and that kind of becomes, that kind of becomes the context of what your film is going to take place in. And so you might not always know what that's going to be when you meet the person and go, man, I got to make a film about this. My, like my debut film untethered i met the people before i ever like knew hey i'm gonna end up making a film about a world record that's set like that like i had no i i had no clue uh that a world record was gonna even be on the table um but i knew the people were absolutely fascinating and i was like okay so that's that was the pre-production i, I met them and, and yeah. then the, ne the next step of the pre-production was hey when can i spend some time and film you guys doing some type of thing um and and I think th that is what, yeah, now that I think about it, that is probably what made the biggest difference on this project versus all the failed projects prior was I actually met the person who I could then focus on um, for, for the story. In most of the projects prior to that, um, I had these like visions in my head, but the main like person to be in it was always like a question mark around that. Like I could sense what that person might be like um but i hadn't actually met the person um and so there's this documentary i was i had planned and put so much work into maybe making in my hometown about you know the the issue of homelessness in my hometown and i had this ideal in my head of who that main person could be and what that story would tell of, of youth homelessness and and kind of aging out of the foster care system but i had like never met the person and I never did end up meeting the right person that would that this would have worked with, and and if I had really pushed, I could have started meeting people and 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 that probably could have come to life. But what really changed things for the film that I actually ended up making, being my like first film, was I met the people, um, and like in the context of that being the heart of the story is kind of where all the other pieces come into play around it, um, and so that's where that that is the most important part to me is kind of that heart of what the story is going to be. And I mean, and depending on the complexity of what you're trying to, to make, then pre-production can include a whole host of different things. If you're traveling to other countries to film or things like that. Um, but that's kind of my process. Meet a person that inspires me kind of tease that out a little bit and like, and like pull at some threads and kind of see how things just have, where the curiosity takes me. And, uh, and from there, they just pick a time and go start filming. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny that you, I mean, just the way that you describe that reminds me a lot of my process for creating a good wedding film. And sometimes I don't get the chance to meet them beforehand. Right. I always, I always try to make it a point 
but there are, you know, kind of the rare occasions where they're in another city and I tried to Skype with them, but it just didn't work out. Right. Um, but most of the time I get to meet them in person. Like tonight, I'm actually going to go take a couple out to dinner. I'm doing their wedding film. Um, and actually like, only like three weeks from now, um, they booked me a long time ago and we've met before, but this time I want to sit down and just really understand like what makes them tick, you know, what, what is it about, um, each other that inspires them about each other? Um, what motivated them to decide to get married, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to really understand what their story is as individuals and what drew them together as a couple, um, in order to be able to tell that story well. Um, but also so that I can, kind of coach them through, okay, you guys have this great story of how you have, um, you know, come together in relationship. Now we need to make sure that that story actually gets told on your wedding day. Right. So here's some things that we need to do that I need you guys to do in advance, um, in kind of preparation for the wedding day when we're actually going to film it so that we can actually tell that story because, you know, it's great if I know the story, but if we didn't, spend some time preparing to tell that story i may not have any elements on the day of that are actually going to allow me to be able to do that right it's like i've done weddings before where um you know he saw her for the first time coming down the aisle um and they had just kind of traditional pre-written church vows and there were no toasts and there was just kind of nothing to use right other than a few, you know, scriptures, generic scriptures that the minister read. And, you know, I'm sure these guys had a great relationship. You know, I'm sure they really loved each other. Right. But, you know, you couldn't really tell it in their film other than the fact that they were kind of, you know, uh, physical with each other, you know. And uh, so while that was one of actually it was it was super disappointing to me, too, because it was actually one of the more beautiful, visually appealing films I ever shot. Right. Um, because of the people and the location and the decor and, uh, the lighting and, you know, they have this great waterfall backdrop to their, uh, their ceremony and everything, but there was no story there. And so it's not a film that I even show off on my website, um, because, you know, as visually appealing as it is, I didn't really get to tell a story there because we didn't do the pre-production right. And, you know, to be honest, I blame myself as much as anything else for that. Um, so yeah, it's it's cool hearing you kind of say that for even like creating a documentary or you know some other sort of story that you want to tell, so much of it is just about meeting and understanding who this person is that you're going to be telling the story about. Yeah, and the more the more that I'm making documentaries and the more that I'm making films about people, like it's just so obvious that it 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 is all about people. <laughs> I mean, technical skills aside, cameras aside, if you're not able to get that emotion moment on camera, you're you're going to need to spend a lot of time in the edit room to finesse and, and fabricate and sculpt a story out of some very bland source material. And yeah. and I've just been thinking more and more of, of filmmaking and the process of being like a one-man band or two-man team type filmmaking style. Like, it's... It's this combination of like leadership in the sense that you're needing to leadership and relationship where you're like needing to meet people and and have them be confident in you very quickly. <laughs> you know, they, they need to yeah. 
they need to trust you fast. And that, that essentially is in a way what leadership is, like people that trust and are willing to to take your lead on some things. And the quicker that you can get to that place with the subject that you're filming, I mean, that's that's where you can start getting some really powerful moments on camera. And it, it's why I'm so thankful for the tiny cameras that we get to work with these days because you aren't, I mean, it's not natural for someone to have a massive film crew following them around. And that's not, that's not really how I like doing things. It's so much better to, I mean, and I mean, yeah, I've, I've just found myself in so many scenarios where I've had to focus on the human element of our interactions. And first, before I even like started recording, just to make sure that we were like interacting and like on the same page. And sometimes that's meant the images that I've gotten aren't as good, but I, I feel the connectedness there is, it's just there's actually something there to connect with. And uh, yeah, e- even coming down to, I mean, this is, you can get so deep into the psychology of your presence as a filmmaker, as events, as events are unfolding, like what that does, because it changes things. There's there's no doubt about it that when you are present with a camera, the environment is changed. And that's where, like, it's never to be taken for granted when a couple, like, chooses to have you there on that day and chooses to have you in all these crazy intimate moments. Um, and if you don't like have any like of that trust built before, before that day, it, man, you're, people can make that work and they do all the time, but you're fighting an uphill battle there to, to get them to, to be comfortable with having these cameras in their faces and, and to, and to not alter the environment as, as little as possible. I, I, I take so much pride in the few wedding films that I did, being able to have have a bride even say it was more fun having me there. Like how does, since when does like having some punk teenager filmmaker be present on your wedding day with, with all your bridesmaids, since when does that, when does having a camera present make that more fun, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, and it happens when you're focusing on the people. That's when that happens. Um, yeah. And maybe the goal isn't to walk away from, from the day with having a lot of, being comfortable while being filmed. But I mean, if, if you're going at it with the people focus that that should be pretty high up there on the priority list next to, you you know, the other things that we tend to spend a lot of time caring about. Yeah. No, that's really cool. And, uh, I watched, you, you did like a, a vlog, uh, from a wedding recently. Right. Um, and I watched that. And one of the things that I, uh, went away thinking about you was you're just like a, a guy that's full of joy. Huh. Like you just have like this huge, uh, like sense of, I mean, maybe it was that day or maybe that's just you. Cause I don't, I don't know you beyond this interview and those films I've seen, Right. but, but you have this presence of joy and the way that you carry yourself and your smile and those kind of things. And I imagine that was probably a part of it. Um, I was watching a YouTube video from a wedding filmmaker recently and he was saying that some of his assistants and, um, and actually his wife will tell him like, Hey, you got to smile every once in a while, uh, because you know his default face was just like this really intense, like you know. Right. We we all have like a different default face, and doesn't necessarily reflect how we're feeling. He was like, "Well, I'm I'm feeling great. I'm feeling super happy. I'm loving life right now." But he had just like this, you know, kind this, of stern this resting scowl. Yes, exactly. And uh, so you know, maybe that's a part of it too. So uh, if you're out there and you kind of have a default face that's very stern. Maybe you need to work on smiling a little bit too to make your clients at ease. <laughs> yeah, I I try my best in my life to to not 
spend tons of time dwelling on or focusing on the way that you're perceived. Um, but then at the same time, if you just put like a fraction of effort towards the way that you come across, you can you can really increase some some really positive things in the way that you interact with people around you. And I've I've just had to learn that and I'm I'm far from getting to where I would love to be as a as a leader and as a filmmaker and as just a, a husband and a friend. But I mean putting that effort towards wow, if you like smile more, like and if you find reasons to smile, because I believe that there is reasons in our lives to be so grateful, um yeah, it can just make make things better. I, I, I just in in my youth out of my passion and my intensity, like I'm, a, I am a pretty intense person. And so I can definitely, when I'm in the zone, I can like get to this, like that sternness and that, uh, that snappiness. And, and I just like look back on moments I regret. And most of the moments I regret in like in relationship interactions is like, I was being like intense and I like thought justified in my intensity. And, and I just look back and I, I just feel so foolish that that was, how I thought was a good way to interact with another with another person. It's like that. Why did I think that was going to work? <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. so, like why didn't I just calm down a little bit? And, and even so, in conflict, why didn't I focus on clarifying instead of confronting? Uh, but then on the other side, like why didn't I choose to just make the environment better by bringing? I mean, and, and so that's interesting that you noticed in the vlog that there was like joy there, and that's. And that's something that I is really important to me is is being grateful, like is finding gratitude in, in each day. Like that's where I that's where I want to be. Cause right now if I look at like my business goals and I look at like the growth goals that I have for these different plans I have in my head, because I just always have these plans and goals and things like that. Um, I'm not where those plans and goals and benchmarks and things are. Like I'm not I'm not there. And Yet, yet I need to find a way to be really grateful for each day because, you know, those goals are going to change and and I can't have the goal itself be what I think will bring gratitude. I I just have to be able to find fulfillment in the process. And yeah, and I've, I've been trying to learn how to in kind of these vlog format things, bring an element of, bring an element at different times of, of more reality sense of like yeah life life isn't always life isn't always joy and, and there's sometimes is these intense stresses and uncertainties that go along with pursuing an unconventional path of filmmaking or what have you um and so i'm trying to grow in in the sense of where i can have that dialogue more freely on the content that i put out there about myself um because i've, I've certainly found it's easier to focus on the positivity just because that's i mean that that just it's for me, it's e- it's like much easier, especially in the content that I create and put out there to focus on positivity. And so now in the future, I'm trying to find a way to how can you in be from a position of gratitude and share like, hey, I've been I've been looking back on the past six months and realizing I'm not I haven't been doing as well as I could be or I haven't been running mm-hmm. this business the way that I envisioned I would and the leader that I thought I was. And and that's and that's not good yeah. <laughs> and finding a way. I mean, because there's stories all the time of these internet personality people that make these identities based on fabrication of reality, and and we 
do that as even as normal people, we do that with what we share on Facebook and Instagram and any social thing because I mean it's so much easier and so much better and so much more fun to share the good. I think that's I don't yeah. think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um but <laughs> then there's like the exact opposite where people will just like just flash the worst stuff and <laughs> and they'll just use that as being like the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst. And like, yeah. look at everything that's going bad for me. Ah! And, and that's not the answer either. And so I'm sure I'm trying to find the balance of that, especially, especially going forward and, and doing more education stuff myself. Um, I, I want to be able to be real um, and be honest yet, like share that. Hey, I've been able to find a lot of gratitude in life. And I, and I think, everyone should be able to to come to that place and to be able to be fully fulfilled at any any given point i think that is where man there's so much freedom in that oh <laughs> yeah no that's that's absolutely true my um we've we've actually kind of learned to not necessarily in a public way but um with within our our our, our closest community learn to live that way mm-hmm. we have a um, I'm, I'm kind of non-traditional in like every aspect of my life. Um, right. Uh, but we have, my wife and I grew up like in a kind of traditional church setting mm-hmm. for the last almost decade. We've been just meeting like exclusively in our home with just a, a handful of other people. And one right. of the things that we do together is just like be really honest about our emotions and like what's going on in our life. So like, you know, Hey, you know, I, I, I got angry about this this week. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been, uh, you know, I've been scared about this thing with, you know, work or finances or my relationship, um, or, you know, I'm, I'm super excited about this thing that's going on, but just like, that's like one of our main tenets of life in our community is just being real with each other. But I think that really translates into everything else that we do when we learn to be real like that with other people in our communities is that it translates into everything else we do, including our filmmaking and our sort of our emotional intelligence. Um, yeah. Right. Know, if, if we have, if we cultivate a high level of emotional intelligence, it is going to come through in your films. Um, you are that going is to, so be able true. to tell better stories. And so I really appreciate what you're saying there. I think that's, that's really valuable. Mm-hmm. Talk to me more about what you're doing on the day of like the day that you're actually filming um, something, what sort of a process in your mind, and you could, you kind of go a lot of different ways with this, but, but what's your general process in uh, collecting bits of video that are going to tell your story well? Yeah. So most of the, most of the times that, so on the larger sense of how I piece the pieces I make together, usually I'll always start with, filming some activity that's happening and so i mean with any most of the films that i make i do rely on some form of interview after the fact to add add more fullness and build out this story better yeah Uh, but they they almost always start with kind of just some sort of activity or task or or event of some kind and so i'll just i'll show up and and Sometimes in my head, I'll have an idea of, wow, those shots I've seen previously looked really cool. How can I recreate some of those here? And so that, that'll be a little bit on my mind as we, as we get started on the day. If there's some really cool establishing shot that I thought might be neat or 
things like that. Um, but I tend to think of the way that I go about getting coverage or getting, I think of it, it's weird. I'm not a writer, but I think of it like getting your source material, um, or your research for some form of like academic paper. Um, and I'm taking it to writing. This is so strange that I connect with it through writing, seeing as I don't really like writing. Um, mm -hmm. But the process of even writing things like a paragraph, um, that there's different uses of different sentences throughout that that paragraph that might include, you know, four to four to eight sentences and however you structure that. And that is how I, when I break it down, that's what I'm doing when I start filming is I look at, okay, how can I tell a moment here? Um, it's been really helpful to think of things as scenes. I never used to do that, but thinking of knowing in the edit room, I'm going to need to create a moment out of this. So how do I, how do I get that now? And so then that goes, oh, well, I should probably have a wide shot. <laughs> I should probably yeah. like show them where they are. And then I, I should probably come in closer and get, you know, punch in a little bit more and show, show more detail. And then I should show the purpose of what they're actually doing in that thing. Maybe they're packing their bags. Maybe they're doing some type of thing. And, and so you want to show people where you are and then show them what they're doing in that thing. Uh, and that, and then I just kind of repeat that process over and over throughout the day of, Hey, if I'm going to fill, if I'm going to hit record on this camera right now, when I'm editing this, how am I going to get us into this moment? Um, mm. And sometimes in the edit room, you can create these beautiful, these beautiful scenes where you just like punch right into something, give zero context, and it just works. Uh, I don't like relying on that. I like making sure that I actually have a way into everything. Because I think when I started, I would just like, oh, that looks cool. Film that. Oh, that, that looks cool. I'll go film that. Oh, I should yeah. put on my 50 mil, go to 1.4 and get a depth of field shot because that looks really cool. Yeah. Um, and... So now when I when I approach things filming on the day, when I'm getting my coverage, what's going to end up being a majority of the edit, I'm I'm thinking of, okay, how can I tell these in sentences and paragraphs that are the building blocks of what the story will be? And then the other layers of that is as, unvent, as events are unfolding, uh, I try, I've been, I would love to create films that a majority of the story that's being told is through audio that's happening as things are happening. That's kind of this ideal I have in my head. I don't know if it's foolish or not, but I love these moments that are like there with the person as it's happening. So that way the viewer feels like they're there too. That's, I like trying to, I like trying to create that moment. And so as events are unfolding, I'll, I'll be interrupting things here and there being like, Hey, can you, can you tell me what you're doing? And, and like, and if I didn't like the way that they said something, if I didn't feel it was genuine or if it was too presenty, I'll, I'll try again. Um, and as I've built trust with some of the athletes, it, we we have language that works around that where where they understand what I'm going for now that they've seen the way that I've edited things together later. And so they they know, oh, I, I don't need to be like presenty like I'm on a TV show. I should just be like I'm talking to you. And so I've I've been trying to develop that kind of director sense where and that's kind of interesting. I I have been shifting more in my head thinking of myself as a director, which is bizarre because I never, ever thought of myself as that. But I'm just realizing like that's as much as I love like creating beautiful things, like that's certainly not what I'm best at. And that's certainly not what I set to do when I go out and film. So mm -hmm. it's it's trying to get those, yeah, as we're filming, get these like moments that that are just like real. And then 
that's kind of how I approach filming on the day. And, uh, and then there's the specialty stuff. Like if there, if, if a certain type of event is going to happen, like that's very specific, like I'm about to do a rope swing, you know, mm -hmm. then that approach involves sometimes, Hey, can you hold this camera over here? I'm going to go over here. Can you wait for me this way? Um, I'm going to set up and get an aerial shot over there. And so sometimes there's a bit more of an involved process where there's more steps to like setting up, capturing something. Um, but usually the building blocks is think, thinking of it like paragraphs and getting the, getting the wide mediums and the tights and doing that all in the style of how I, how I approach things. And that's, that's kind of how I go about things on the day. Yeah. No, I really appreciate that. I think, I think that's super helpful because it's like, uh, I've seen some wedding films where it is, every shot is, you know, either like waist up to like a tight shot of you know head and shoulders kind of thing and it was just sort of like confusing and disorienting and right. so you definitely need those those context clues to understand what's going on or the and, ones that are all shot wide angle on a glide cam and you never right <laughs> you never like and, and that sure that could be their their style and whatever but like that to me i'm not as a as a filmmaker i'm not satisfied with that as a as a viewer i just it's it's boring to me just to see wides it's like okay yep. cool <laughs> whatever you got a drone shot and a wide shot going down the aisle now what like yeah right yeah because because then you sort of miss out on all the details of you know what's really going on um mm -hmm. lost in the perspective of uh you know of this this overall scene you need to be able to come back in from this scene and this context to okay here's actually the story i'm telling here's the story of this particular couple and what they're the commitment that they're making to each other so yeah i think mm -hmm. that's that's really helpful to think in terms of of kind of wide medium tight um within each scene that you're a part of and i really like what you said as well of thinking about each moment in terms of a scene right um so you know if we go into bride prep thinking okay this is a scene um, what do i need in order to get my viewer into this scene in order for them to understand what's actually going on here okay now we're doing the first look okay what's the scene I, i'm going to get right. some beautiful shots of the couple together but what's the overall scene you know like i did uh, i did a first look um a few weeks ago actually where um, the couple was going to be saying traditional church vows at the ceremony. And so right. I got them to write vows to say to each other uh, at the first look. Right. But I knew it was going to be this scene. And so we shot it from, from several different angles and different perspectives and then actually shot it a second time, um, you know, with the aerial perspective. Um, right. Just to like create this overall big scene to be able to let people know, hey, we're in this, you know, um, yeah, the, the wedding is here with all these people around, but right now this is a totally intimate moment. So I shoot, right. show this, this great wide aerial scene to show this great big field with the rolling hills in the background and, and the tall grass and her walking up to him, um, seeing, seeing her for the first time. And, you know, but, but to be able to first see like, here's sort of the intimacy of this moment, um, was was i think really important to set that scene up properly so mm -hmm. but but it's good to, to give language to that so i appreciate that yeah and i think i think most of us when we set out to emulate things that we've seen we kind of do that instinctually i mean 
at least a little bit. And and if you don't do it instinctually and you go to edit it, you realize that, oh, I, this, something's not right. And, yep. and so I've, I have only developed the way that I talk about it after being asked, but I followed feeling for a majority of it. Like, does this feel right? And, and that's yeah. kind of been what's guided. And, and unfortunately, most of that is only revealed when you go to edit it. And that's why I, if if you don't edit your own work, then you then you need to because you need to you need to see that that process of trying yeah. to piece something together and yeah, that's so true. I learned so much whenever I'm editing one of my films. It's, oh man, if I just done this differently, I actually just made a post the other day about that of just asking other wedding videographers. You know, how often is it when you're editing something that you realize oh, I really wish I would have shot this differently? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that is. I think one of the most common things and what grows you as a filmmaker so much. Um, mm-hmm. I have someone who works for me that, that gets me a lot, um, gets me down the road on my edits, um, takes a lot of, uh, a lot of the brunt work away from me, but then I go back in afterwards and really craft the story out of it that I want to tell. Right. Um, but still, even in just that, that part of the editing process, I learned so much about the ways that I need to be improving how I'm shooting. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, talk to me about, um, on the day of, you, you brought up this a couple of times with the, the Canon T2i, and then you mentioned just kind of the small gear. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what you're using on the day of that enables you to work the way that you do. What, what kind of camera, um, cameras are you using? What sort of stabilizers are you using? Um, yeah. What's your workflow look like on the day of in terms of gear? Yeah, I, I, I kind of have your, uh, I've, I mean, as a kid, a lot, a lot, or as a teenager, a lot of the education material at the time that was getting made was, I mean, the guys over at Still Motion kind of sharing their wedding film process. So a lot of what I've taken into the adventure films I make have kind of come from this world and seeing people use, use small cameras, um, and use on-camera microphones and monopods. Like that's kind of, that's kind of all I need right there. Just a monopod, a camera. And as long as I have, I mean, it's really handy having some faster prime in there just because it allows you to get some of these um, compressed frames that I think look really gorgeous. Um, But then just having a lens that has some sort of stabilization in it, that's wide to tight. That's kind of just, that's like my bread and butter right there. That's what I use. I just, I love going handheld. Um, and with the in-body stabilization getting better and better, that it's just been like, it's been such a joy to, to shoot handheld work. Um, mm-hmm. because one of my favorite lenses that I started out using for, 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 for filming as far as primes goes was, was the 35 one four from Rokinon. Um, and that's a that's a fantastic lens, but especially when you're shooting on like a T2i handheld, like you're getting a lot of a lot of hand shake in in that image. And so I'd always need to make sure I was on a monopod or something like that. Um, and then I do almost always have some form of aerial thing with me, just especially in the nature of what I've been filming recently. Just it's really handy to be able to to fly a quadcopter out there and get some of these perspectives that I just can't get unless I'm like flying myself. Um, and so specifically in the highlining stuff that I've been doing. And so I, I don't usually ever recommend it, but I, I like have edited entire scenes out of like just aerial footage. Um, 
which that's not a huge recommendation, but sometimes, sometimes that's just ends up what, depending on what the subject matter is, that's what lends itself best to being captured. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those are, I mean, in, I try not to be a loyalist to any camera manufacturer of any kind. Cause I've, I've kind of looked back at the way that I've gone about making things and it's just come down to what did I have access to use at that time I used <laughs> to yeah. be like r- really frank. And when I made my first film, like I, I went and I worked for, I worked for free for someone for, for two days and I, I got access to borrow their, their, their GH4 for a week and ended up pushing that borrow a, a, a half a week past. But I just, I used that camera cause I knew it, it, people were able to get great images out of it. And, and, and so that's what I used. And then the next time when I was working on a fallout project, um, I mean, there, there's a rabbit trail on distribution needs for 4k. So I, I needed to, to be acquiring in 4k for the purpose of trying to make money off the film afterwards. I didn't really care. Um, but I mean, that meant I was like, okay, well, what, what, what cheap 4k camera can I get right now? And, oh, a 6300. Okay. I'll get that. And first day using it over oh, this, this thing overheated crap. Uh, <laughs> what other cheap 4k thing can I get? And I, and so I got a Panasonic G7 and, and I went and, and filmed with those two things. And mm-hmm. I, I, there's interesting things happening in the gear world where people are getting shamed for talking about gear. Um, there's kind of been this new trend now where people are like, yeah, gear is not cool at all. People that talk about gear are frauds and they don't actually care about the art. (laughs) And, and that movement has come as an effect, as an effect of kind of the Vimeo age of camera tests galore, rightly so. Um, people that just posted camera tests and I, I don't have a, problem with people that do that as a hobby <laughs> like if people just want to buy camera gear and do camera tests all the power to them whatever i, I that doesn't really affect my life but sure. if someone wants to like actually tell stories they need to stop researching cameras at some point <laughs> yeah and i needed to stop researching cameras at some point the amount of time in high school i invested in researching camera systems that I had no business even looking at. Like, wh- why was I looking at the Sony F5? Like, <laughs> wh- why was I pouring over the details of this camera or the Red Scarlet or the, why did I care so much about the release of the Red Scarlet when I had no business even caring about that seeing as I had no money to buy it? It's like, sure, yeah. It, we just get so, a lot of people that like to get into this stuff or like the technology behind it. And I I mean, I've, I've got no problem with that. I love I love gear and I have no problem saying that. Um, but I love stories more. Yep. And that's that. And I realized gear was so getting in the way of me actually just going out and making things. It just gave me such a perfect excuse to be like, Oh, I don't have this. I don't have that. Well, well, guess what? Now that everyone has these things, it's super easy to like do free work for someone and borrow. Yeah. So there's, there's like no excuses anymore. I mean, for if you can't spend a thousand bucks to get a little G7 and a lens and a Rode microphone, then you don't have a you don't have business trying to make videos right now. Anyways, like, yeah. just work a part time job and get that money. And yeah, I'm gonna rant, but I'll 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 stop the rant there. Yeah, no, that's that's really good. <laughs> we did a we did like a whole gear series on the podcast and and ended it with like a roundtable discussion with a, a Canon shooter, a Sony shooter, and the Mia Panasonic shooter. Right, and you know. We, we jested each other throughout the whole thing, but we kind of came to the conclusion of, okay, you know, all, all three of our wedding films are beautiful. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're each kind of going about at it in the way that works for us. And, you know, ultimately, you know, you can get a really good camera for really cheap now because they're, they're all good, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it is so much about just kind of like what works for you and the way that you tell stories and what your budget is and, and the way that's going to make you profitable. Um, you know, if you're doing this as a business, um, and so like, you know, I have two different brands. I have kind of a high end brand and I'm shooting with GH4s and GH5s. And then I have a budget brand where I have a team of filmmakers working for me and we're using all G7s and G85s, you know, right? Um, because they're half the cost and uh, that helps us be profitable in that brand, you know? So, mm-hmm. so much of it is just about like the right tool for, for your style and your budget and that kind of thing. But uh, but people are always uh, always interested, and and I think it's it's cool to hear everybody's story and kind of um, you know particularly particularly whenever you see someone who's creating beautiful and inspiring work um, for people who are starting out and they're on a tight budget for them to hear okay well Levi's doing this with a G seven right um, I think is is helpful to hear and knowing okay you know I don't have to go out and spend. $10,000 on the latest, you know, cinema camera. Yeah. Um, in order to get really beautiful work. In fact, sometimes that may even hinder you in what you're able yeah. to do because, because it's so huge. Um, mm-hmm. and because it limited the budget of other things that you could have done. So anyways, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I mean, the, the biggest shift in the cameras that I've been getting excited about over 4k is things that actually change the way that I, I shoot like those, the features that change the way that when I'm there on the day trying to capture the story, the way that I do that is changed by the tools that's in my hands. Like the changes that manufacturers make to their cameras that enable that to be different or better is those are the changes that I actually, I mean, so much more than dynamic range or resolution. Um, I mean, for me, that stabilized sensor is something that I'm never going to go away from now for, for documentary yeah. work. Um, even even it's 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 insane like it's so it's so good uh for capturing like handheld quick footage like it's i mean i i heard people just absolutely raving about it in the in this the sony mark ii's of those the a7r and a7s and i i couldn't i couldn't afford one and i didn't end up buying one and 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 i got to to use some people's and i was like yeah this is real cool and that I mean the the way that the GH5 does it I'm just I'm I don't get blown away by things but like I'm pretty blown away that you can have a 30 to 100 on a micro four thirds and get like a really usable shot at 100 and that's yeah. those are the things I think are worth like causing a fuss about cuz that's like that actually changes the things that I don't think are worth causing a fuss about are things like codecs and and resolution as much as those things do matter but it, it's just I mean those things don't change things as much for me as, as sure. the actual usability of the tool itself. And that's, that's something I will, you'll, um, you will hear me get excited about. Yeah. I, I was telling people, you know, I've been, I've been doing this for nearly a decade mm-hmm. and I've owned four different camera brands, even from Pentax to Canon to Olympus to Panasonic. And I've never been as excited about a camera as I have been about the G GH5 just because of two features that it does that completely change the way that I'm able to work. And one is the image stabilization and the other is 
4K at 60 because yeah, that's the, it. The combination of those two things yeah. eliminate the need for a lot of other gear. You know, <laughs> so true. Um, you know, I can now go without a monopod in a lot of situations. I can I can get rid of my slider. Yeah, because, isn't that crazy? Yeah, when I when I put this uh, this Leica 15 mil lens on there, um, I can hold it tight to my body and rock back and forth um, at 4K 60p with image stabilized stabilized uh, sensor, and it looks like I was on a slider. Um, yeah, I hear you, man. And so there's little things like that that you know, if if it enables you to move quicker to get more shots especially on a wedding day when you have a tight schedule, mm-hmm. um, then it's situations like that where the gear actually does matter a little bit. Right. Um, so yeah, cool. Well, we are, um, we're needing to wrap up, but I want to hear, we want to do a pick of the week. So why don't you start? What's your, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week. Uh, well, I've been editing more kind of this doc stuff style things for a client and, one of the things that I've been trying to do when I shoot that stuff, especially when I'm just gathering like B-roll is actually having, having a stereo mic on top of the camera instead of just my, I typically just use the, the one directional shotgun mic, but I've like absolutely fallen in love with the Rode stereo mic X. That's been, that's my pick (laughs) because, because mainly when I then go in the edit, being able to have this gorgeous stereo sound, to mix with on your B-roll footage, if there's any type of movement happening or anything like that, or any type of room tone or room noise, having that stereo sound, like when I was editing on my desk with my speakers set up on either side and like being able to feel that kind of immersive sound that, uh, yeah, that was kind of, that impressed me a lot. So I'm, I'm using the Rode stereo video mic X. Um, and they also just have a stereo video mic pro and they're both, using those things have have been a lot of fun. So that's my pick. So that just sticks on top of the hot shoe. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually like identical to the way that you'd use a video mic pro. Um, but it's a stereo mic. And so it looks a bit different. It looks a little, a little bit funny. It's got this honeycomb like effect to it. And, uh, but it, it gives you this gorgeous stereo sound that is so much more, the, the fullness of it is kind of hard to describe. And so I, I want to go like shoot live music stuff with it or acoustic sessions or things like that, just because it's got a really immersive sound to it. And I've been trying to step up my sound game a little bit. So cool. Yeah. I'm with you. I've been working on that too, on some of my audio stuff, particularly like this, well, on a lot of things, um, right. which will probably be my next several picks of the week, I'm sure. Um, but one of them is uh, the XLR one. Um, it's, it's a device that Panasonic made for specifically for the GH5. Um, so it goes on top of the hot shoe. If you're watching the video, I'll slide it on there and show you what I'm talking about. Um, but it just slides on and then locks in, uh, to the top and you can actually put two XLR units and it's got a cold shoe on top. So you can go ahead and put your shotgun mic or, you know, your lav receiver or whatever the case is. And then it's got all these buttons and switches on the side. Uh, so you can, um, you know, dial it in exactly the way that you want it, but you're going to get a lot better quality sound rather than going into the mic jack. If you're getting, going to be a real audio file about it, um, the, the sound coming out of the XLR is going to be a cleaner sound, um, as well as just kind of being able to use the preamps in both the mic and the XLR one unit itself. Makes um, it like a C100, eh? 
Yeah, yeah. Mr. Canadian over there. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Except uh, in a much smaller package. Again, if you can see right. the video here. This is basically, the XLR1 is comparable to like a deck of cards um, in size. So a much more compact unit um, that's going to enable you to get really high quality sound. So I'm excited um, because this is obviously um, brand new. Uh, so most of you know, but we pre-record these. So we're actually recording this on April 3rd. So the G5 has just come out. Um, but yeah, I'm using that for the first time this weekend with a shotgun mic. So, um, and my, uh, lobs. So I'm excited to see what the difference in the quality of the audio is I'm getting. Um, so, uh, maybe I'll talk about that more in a future podcast, but, uh, before we wrap up here, Levi, just tell us more about where we can go to find out more about what you're doing. Yeah. The, the best place just on Instagram, just type in Levi Allen. That's Allen with A-L-L-E-N, Levi Allen, L-E-V-I-A-L-L-E-N. Um, you can find me there and pretty much from there is where I always post when I'm up to new things and got projects on and you can find my my website from there. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to build a little community of, of people that are focused on adventure films over there and what I'm doing. And I, I do a lot of, lot of videos on YouTube, two or three a week. So it'd, uh, it'd be fun to have you along. Awesome. Very cool. And if you want a really cool t-shirt, Right. Uh, then you can go over to his website. I actually ordered one of his shirts. Um, and I actually ordered, he's got these, he's got this cool graphic. What, it, what does it say? It says life's better when you make stuff. Life's better when you make stuff. And I just thought the way he designed it and everything was really cool on top of, of course, just what he said and how true it is. Um, but you'll be happy to know this, Levi. I have, I have this, uh, this frame here. Right. That, that your poster is going to go in. So oh, it's, it's going to hang on my office. So you have uh, to send me a picture. I will for sure. Absolutely. But I thought that would bring you some joy in knowing that, uh, another thing that you made is going to hang up on my wall in my office and all my clients and friends and everyone are going to see it when they come here. So right on. Yeah. And people, if they want to, they can find those at life's better.co. That's, uh, it's been something that's been fun to create. Awesome. Very cool. Well, this has been super helpful. I'm so glad we had you on to give us a really different perspective on telling great stories. And I've learned a ton. I know our, our listeners will as well. So thanks a ton for coming on. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thanks for having me. The Wedding Film Academy podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show and help us out by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And when you're done, head on over to WeddingFilmAcademy.org to chat with our other wedding filmmakers like yourself in the comments section. Until next time, keep making movie magic.